are the best locations for food pantries? What are patterns and use of crisis call centers? How can services be improved for senior populations of counties? These questions share a common denominator. They represent data and analysis needs of community service organizations. Statistics in the service of the community is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm John Baylor. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is panelist Richard Campbell, Professor Emeritus of Media, Journalism, and Film. Rosemary Pennington is away. Our guests today are Emily Morris, PhD candidate in the Department of Biostatistics, and Dr. Tom Braun, professor in the Department of Biostatistics at the University of Michigan. They're both involved in the STATCOM efforts at the University of Michigan, and they're here to share their experience with us. Emily and Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having Great us. Good to be here. Well, you know, you got to start with the obvious. So, so what the heck is STATCOM? So STATCOM is a student-led volunteer organization, mostly in the Department of Biostatistics at the University of Michigan. Um, we also have student volunteers from the statistics department, from other public health departments, and essentially we provide pro bono statistical consulting services to local nonprofits and government agencies. So I think, Emily, you were a co-author on, on the piece that I read on uh, benefiting the local community. So I'm an older person, and I may move to Ann Arbor someday because my son and grandson live there, and, uh, and I used to teach in Michigan. And... Uh, so what's, what, what is the work you do, that you do? How's it gonna improve my life if I decide as an older retired person to move to uh, Ann Arbor? So uh, I'm glad you bring up that, that example of the project. Um, it was one of the most, I think, uh, directly impactful projects that Stockholm has participated in since I've been a student leader here. And essentially it was surveying people in the community that were um, 60 plus to get an idea of what services would be useful to them. Where could the Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation improve services they were already providing? And the reason that they wanted to do this work is because they had a very large grant. They wanted to allocate those funds in a way that was um, gonna impact the people in the community and not just the ways that they expected it to be helpful. So they were trying to directly survey the participants who would be impacted. Um, and, you know, I don't know the status of that project and where exactly the, the funds ended up going, but I do mm -hmm. know that they had um, a data-driven approach to figure out um, where the services were needed the most. So what is, gets people involved? I mean, what is, so Emily, what, what sort of attracted you first to, to start working with StatCom? Um, so to me, I've always wanted to, I like to find volunteer outlets for things that I care about. And Starting grad school, I thought, what better way to get hands-on experience with, um, with real-world data and also feel like I'm having an impact and in being involved in the community. So that was the, the main reason I uh, first volunteered for a project and then seeing the good work that was happening in some of these projects and also um, how appreciative some of the partners were was what made me continue and then try to grow the organization and get more students involved. So I, uh, we're looking at sort of two, two members of this community that sort of have different responsibility. Emily, you were one of the student leaders. Tom, you were one of the, the faculty advisors. What, what were kind of your respective roles? I'll, I'll start. Uh, the faculty, so there are three of us now. So Stackham used to start out with basically one faculty advisor, and then it became two, and now it became three. So you can see that we're, we're growing quickly. 
I see my role as simply to provide a path for the students. I try to step away as much as possible. So we have a monthly leadership meeting. We'll, the faculty will chime in there. Uh, one faculty shows up the first meeting that we have with a client to just sort of help get the conversation going and you know, answer questions that maybe students haven't had enough experience um, asking quite yet. But then the, the group comes together they start meeting with the client, analyzing the data, producing a product. Um, I stay out until they say, we really need your help, Dr. Braun. Um, I look at the report. I do feel like I want to give my stamp of approval on the, the product that goes to the client. But it's, it's an easy job right now. We've got just great <laughs> students that just do such great work. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say as a, a student volunteer, just one of the participants on a project, which I was at the beginning of my time at Stockholm, um, that's the main role is to do the analysis. So you get a lot of experience with real data, um, working with people who typically are not statisticians, which might be different from what you're getting in coursework. And then as a student leader, the role is to do anything from, you know, communicating with potential clients, determine if it's a good fit for Statcom or maybe a different organization on campus that does data analysis. And then it can be leading a team, leading a project, making sure um, that team stays on track. So sometimes it's more administrative, having weekly meetings and you know prioritizing different parts of the analysis. Sometimes it's doing the parts of the analysis that maybe are require more expertise or a little bit more of a literature search, things like that. Um, especially as a more senior student, um, sometimes we rely on other PhD candidates to help with the more intense, statistically intensive projects. But as a student leader, yeah, it can be kind of a wide array of just running the organization as well as doing the projects. One of the things that I've learned uh, from John is uh, came out of a phrase in one of your articles. I think it's a famous phrase about working in other people's backyards, the, the way that statisticians are involved in a lot of different fields. I think really before I started working with John, I always thought interdisciplinarity was the domain of the humanities. <laughs> And there was a lot of, you know, I certainly studied across a lot of different disciplines in, in my graduate days. Can you talk a little bit about the benefits of working in other people's backyards? Uh, both uh, Tom and Emily, I'd like to hear, hear your views on that. It's probably the, one of the best parts of our job. Um, and the fact that, so I've been doing this for 21 years, not just with um, Statcom, but I, I started out in bone marrow transplant. I, I've never wanted to go to medical school, but I feel like I know more about a bone marrow transplant um, outside of my collaborators. And that's just a unique benefit of just working with people on transplant. The flexibility in what we do is just, it's, it's amazing the application of having a quantitative brain and helping others understand what's in their data. Um, it's just, it comes with a lot of, of privilege, um, and I brought, I'm glad you brought this up because I think one of the hardest things to teach to, to students, and we mostly graduate students, is just that privilege of being in someone else's backyard and mm -hmm. um, to not take it for granted. And the analogy I always use is that I'm, I'm the mechanic with somebody's car, and if I come and say, yo, you need a complete overhaul in your engine, and I can't explain why, um, I'm going to be out of business. So um, I try to teach folks that if you're going to work in someone's backyard, you also have to tell them what, the, what you're doing um, so that they believe you and they'll come back. Yeah, I'll, I, I'll just kind of second that. Um, I agree. It's, it's never boring. There's always something new and interesting to work on because you can collaborate with 
people in lots of different areas. And in terms of Statcom too, I think it's really interesting to work with different types of organizations and um, you know people who have statistical expertise and those that don't, and you know really engaging with different communities and figuring out how you can communicate what you're doing. So that's also a big part of I think learning through these Statcom projects is um, I find at least if I'm able to you know carefully articulate what I'm doing to someone who doesn't have any statistical um, formal education, then I, I know it a lot better and I feel more confident taking those skills out after grad school. Yeah, I, I love the, the, the one quote I read in one of the pieces that, that you all had written about helping to make the world a better place one analysis at a time. I, you know, that, that, that was a nice, it resonated. I, I thought that was attractive. Uh, now, now, Statcom is, is a, uh, it appears at more than one academic home. This is a this is multi-campus. Can you talk about kind of the the breadth of where of different institutions where where Statcom's you know organizations are found? Sure. So it was founded at Purdue um, in I think the early two thousands, and I believe that they still have an active Statcom chapter. I have touched with them a few years ago, and they were doing a lot of K twelve outreach programs. Oh, wow. A little bit different than what we do at Michigan um, and I know that there have been a few other chapters I believe at UNC. Columbia's trying to start one up right and that's actually uh, I think a goal of our Statcom group is we sort of see ourselves now as the national impetus for a Statcom staying alive. It's listed on the uh, ASA website somewhere but if you go to that link the website was last updated in you know 2008 so the current student leadership, I think, is working really hard to, to make more students at other universities want to do this and develop their own chapters. Um, we've had one student who went to school here and then went, I think, to get their PhD somewhere else. So that, that you know, spreads the word. I like to say, I think we, we are the most active chapter. I think we believe that's true. I don't know that's true, but it's, we'd like to get change that. We'd like to make it a national organization again. Well, having having a hundred students involved, that sounds like a that's a pretty big investment of of kind of energy from your community. So I'm I'm kind of wondering there are students involved in this, and there are I'm imagining full professors who are are advisors. So in my time at Michigan, we were actually discouraged from getting involved in community projects while we were working our way toward tenure, and I'm wondering if the situation is different now. Or, yeah, this is always, you know, the reason I came into Statcom was because it was part of one of the service roles in the department and they needed someone. And I, I think I'm someone who expresses more of an interest in these sort of service roles than some of my colleagues. So it fit really nicely. Um, so there are three of us who are leaders right now, effective leaders. Two of us are full professors. One, however, is not. But I agree with you. I think there's only a certain amount of service that a junior faculty member can do, and there's other things they have to do to get promoted, and we want that to happen. So it's it's an actually a really good point because, you know, as faculty rotate on and off of service projects, I'm not going to be in Statcom forever. Um, and um, I would highly encourage it. Like I've said, it, this is not a lot of work if we have students who keep the organization going. And so I don't think it's going to cut into, it hasn't, I mean, I, how do I judge this uh, for Tom Braun 20 years ago? Um, how much time this would take out of my research and things? Um, it's just, it's a, it's a great experience for an educator. 
I'm outside of the classroom. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking about statistics in the community with the University of Michigan's Tom Braun and Emily Morris. Uh, you know, so now I'm now I'm thinking, you know, Emily, now I got to do this. At, how am I going to do this in Miami? Because I got, you know, so there are there are a number of schools around the country where you don't necessarily have PhD students that are available. You know, there are some schools that are strictly liberal arts colleges. There are others that are going to be, you know, have a mix of graduate programs. Maybe the highest degree might be masters. Can can you imagine kind of other models. I mean, Michigan, you have a very large graduate student population in your department, as well as students kind of at all levels. Can you imagine an approximation to this that, that could be implemented at, at different different types of institutions? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are a few key ingredients that help a Stockholm chapter really thrive, but not having graduate students is definitely not an issue. Um, I think having you know, a somewhat large base of students who are interested in helping the community and engaging in, you know, community service type projects like that is super beneficial. And certainly undergraduate students can partake in almost all the projects that we do. So I think having the faculty leadership when you're first starting a program is super important to keep it, keep those students on track and to give it some direction, but it'd be especially because of the student turnover um, having that leadership in the department is, is helpful and having the leadership in the organization is helpful. And then another thing that I think is really important for a Stockholm chapter to thrive is having a source of projects. And here at the University of Michigan, we're lucky that we have a place called the Ginsburg Center, and they focus primarily on fostering community university partnerships. And so that can be, you know, come in a lot of different forms, but a lot of the organizations look for data analysis help and so they can kind of funnel those to statcom and they have a lot of people that are dedicated to working with community partners and they also have a lot of the training um, and social work and things like that to create really productive partnerships so i think having a lot of universities probably have a similar program to kind of find that community outreach all those opportunities but there also can be other ways to have the source of new projects. So I think if you have someone who's kind of creative or has a lot of connections in the community and knows that there's a need in the community for some you know, data analysis help, that's, that's definitely beneficial. So those two things, having students, um, a large enough body of students that will volunteer and having some source of projects really helps the Stockholm chapter thrive. Yeah, I think we, we know of some uh, undergraduates that had experience doing research and can get involved in that. So uh, that, that can be quite successful. We've, we've done some work at, here with uh, the, the health district, the local health district. Uh, and, and also we've done some work with the Butler County coroner. And, and one characteristic that's common is they have data, they have analysis, they have needs, and they don't have resources to, un- to basically do that work. So I, you know, I think it's a, if you you don't have to look very far, but I think that the I those are that's some great advice, Emily, in terms of trying to to, to build that as 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 the pool of, of people that are interested in studying statistics and data science grows, I and you know I, I know Ch- Richard's been involved with this in terms of local journalism, even in trying to promote how how students can be involved in that type of outreach. Uh, I, I was curious. I saw that you had mentioned one of the projects that you had started, but one where you saw some impact and you were really excited and. And it was just a really fun, challenging problem. Sure. Yeah. So one of the projects that I think you teased earlier was trying to find an optimal location for a mobile food pantry. 
So that was a really interesting project for a lot of different reasons. It was statistically challenging. I learned a lot. I had not done um, any sort of spatial optimization before. So I found it to be, you know, interesting from that perspective. It was also, you know, very interesting question to think about this very simple idea of we have a mobile food pantry, we have a general geographical area to put it in. Um, but where should we go and what places can we really serve the community the best? And so that that project was interesting because, you know, most places in that position would just, they would put the mobile food pantry in a location based off of convenience, where are their community partners that are willing to let them park their mobile food pantry, um, where have they put it historically, things like that. But to say, you know, here are some characteristics of areas that we've been collecting for, I think, about 10 years at the time that they reached out to us. And then also usage data, things like that, and then try to uh, quantify, you know, what locations work the best and where should you be visiting more frequently um, was very interesting. And I think there were some surprises that some locations, our analysis showed they should be repeat visiting more often than they were and and things like that. And it's also a very, there's a direct impact and they can also reevaluate really easily. So if we suggest some locations and they tried them for a year and, you know, they saw their usage go down, they could say, okay, maybe the metrics we looked at weren't really what we actually wanted to measure and, you know, try to approach it from a different perspective and try different locations. So that, that one was really exciting to me and I think a very fruitful collaboration for both the students and for the um, Noble Food Pantry organization. I, w- I want to find out what kind of connection you have with the the journalism in your area. I think it's really important that these kinds of partnerships and these kinds of outreach programs get publicized so the general public knows about them. Do you have a formal relationship with journalists at all, or is this something you rely on the Michigan PR department to get the word out about this? And, And do they? I mean, I think we live in a time when there's a lot of resistance to science and data and evidence, and I think uh, it's really crucial. Uh, and we're also, we've lost a lot of reporters in the last 15 years. So uh, I think these are really important issues, and I wondered if that's, if STATCOM and the Michigan version of it has, a, has an outreach to journalism program, or you have journalists that are kind of willing to cover these, not just a one-off story, but to cover them over time, because this takes time to do these right. The short answer is no, we, we actually don't. And as you're saying this, it's sort of like the slap in the face, like we're, we're th- why, why haven't we talked about this yet? I think we're at a point now where we are expanding, we Statcom are expanding so quickly that um, we have talked about this. I mean, I'm an academic. When I want to get the message out, I think of journal article. We should write a journal <laughs> article. But as I'm talking with you, I'm like, that's not our audience. There's a whole public audience out there that would benefit from something in the Michigan Daily, for example, the student newspaper or uh, the Michigan Records. So, um, no. And as I'm talking to you, I'm like, well, maybe we should find a grad student in the journalism you know, school and, and see what they can do with us. For us, we would never even thought of that. Actually, it's, it's I mean, my, my biggest interest now in my life and my career is just trying to teach people how to use data and understand the statistics and the proportions that they read in the papers and, and the websites mostly nowadays. So it's it's a wonderful idea. And this is why we do these things because now I've got a great idea, Emily and I do, to go back to our leadership. <laughs> 
You know, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, have, I have just uh, dearly loved collaborating with my, my friends here in journalism. I mean, you know, Richard and I have had a, a, a you know, the, the, the things that we learned when we, st we started working with each other, I think, was surprised us both. We were surprised on two dimensions. One, how much we had in common, and two, how much we thought about things differently. And, and you know, and, and those, those are both really good things. And, I, you know, Rosemary has also done a wonderful job of, of helping me think about the way we communicate what we do. So I, I, I would suggest that, that, you know, embedding a journalist with, with, your, with some of your teams might be a really interesting component of, of getting the word out. And it also is, is a stat community just thinking about how to tell stories in a way, a non-journal article way which is a really different kind of, of uh, communication. Yeah, our, our dean's office for a while, at least for the faculty, was trying to uh, have these storytelling sort of workshops mm -hmm. where they had someone who was not a scientist. Um, I don't think things, those exist anymore, but I agree. I think we're used to telling stories in a certain way that bore the heck out of <laughs> a large part of the population. So a more general audience approach is crucial nowadays. So I'm, I'm curious, what's been one of the hardest, uh, what's, what's one of the, the hardest projects you've worked on, the most challenging? So one I can tell you, one of the hardest projects that we ended up not working on, I think, is just to show you, um, you know, how things have, have moved around in, in Statcom is uh, we were approached by someone to look at uh, the Ann Arbor Police Department was collecting data on traffic stops. Um, and you can probably imagine where the story is going. And with all the racial unrest in, in this country and um, the discussion around black men being stopped by police more often, they said, well, we have some data here. Um, we don't know what it looks like. Could Statcom help us? And we were very excited. And then as we thought about it more, we thought about the fact that this is such a highly polarized issue. We like to think that we're unbiased as statisticians, but it was a really good discussion of can we really be unbiased as an analyst of these data um, if we have a certain social opinion right now? Mm. And we were also very worried about the students. We talk about publicizing results. The, the, these kind of results would probably have made the newspaper in Ann Arbor. I don't think graduate students are quite protected enough. Who knows what gets leaked in the press? So that was a really challenging one for mm. us. It sounded mm. so exciting, but we thought probably wasn't appropriate for our organization. The other difficult one that Emily and I, it's, it's also wonderful, but it's been very challenging, um, is working with an organization looking at spaying and neutering of, of pets, mostly right now dogs, which may not seem like a huge public health issue, but there is a real problem in dogs with bigger dogs. Um, as they get older, they can't move around. Um, there's an obesity problem in animals. And there is a belief that there's a connection with uh, spaying and neutering occurring too early. Um, We've been doing this project for over two years, Emily. I looked at an email earlier today. Um, usually our projects are six month-ish, um, but this one's been going on for two years and um, it's been fascinating um, to work with a group of individuals who aren't quantitative, but know so much about their field. And um, the, the benefits on both sides, I think have been enormous. Um, it's been great for the students to see that you can't just show them a table of odds ratios and they go, oh, there's the answer. Um, it's taking a lot of work to communicate the results. Emily, would you, uh, what, what would you, what was, what's been your take on the, the, the spay neuter story? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it's the longest running project that I've worked on. Um, 
and hopefully we'll soon be wrapping up. Two, two years seems like plenty of time. It's a full graduate school experience for some. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it has been challenging, but I would say it's also very rewarding. And for me personally, rewarding in the learning how to communicate and work with a team that's pretty diverse in their backgrounds. The statistical analysis itself is, you know, interesting, but not, not extremely novel. So it's more collaborating with the team and communicating those results that has been, has what is what's, that's what makes it the most challenging. Um, Cause I would, I would agree. I think that's probably the most challenging project that I've worked on um, in my time here. And, and sometimes projects can be challenging for different reasons. If the partners are really excited, really invested, have a lot of questions, but maybe they don't have the data to back up those questions. That's a common problem. But in this case, we have really rich data. They're really excited about what we're working on. It's more trying to communicate clearly and have you know a game plan that we agree on that they also understand and, and think is the best path forward. Well, thank you so much. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Emily and Tom, thanks again for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. Be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.